Morning. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, my, my wife actually uh, said something to me before uh, as we were singing or after the announcement. We are officially going to join your church at least until Saturday so we can take care of that, uh, take advantage of that babysitting thing. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, but thanks for, uh, thanks for letting me come and, uh, and spend some time with you. Um, if you would turn 1 Samuel 23, as I hear uh, you uh, were going through the life of uh, David. So 1 Samuel 23, we're going through the, the life of David, and, and from what I understand, I love, I love this chapter. I'm, I thank you for giving it to me. I, I learned a lot from this. This chapter, I, uh, I've always liked David, because David, uh, David, throughout David's life, you get a lot from David's life, and he's got some ups and downs. He's got some challenges in his life, and, and this chapter is a good chapter. This is, a, this is one of the positive chapters in David's life. Uh, if you will. So we're going to pick out a few lessons from this chapter on, as you know, David is labeled a man after God's own heart. So we're going to start maybe just by reading the first 14 verses of uh, of this portion. And uh, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. uh, Follow along or you could just listen. It says, One day news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah stealing grain from the threshing floors. David asked the Lord, Should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Keilah, the Lord said to him. But David's men said, We're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah and to fight the whole whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again. And again the Lord replied, Go down to Keilah and I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah they slaughtered the Philistines and took all their livestock and rescued the people of Keilah. Now, Abathar, Abiathar, excuse me, son of Amalek, fled to David at Keilah, and he brought the ephod with him. Saul soon learned that David was at Keilah. Good, he exclaimed. We've got him now. God has handed him over to me, for he has trapped himself in a walled town. So Saul mobilized his entire army to march to Keilah to besiege David and his men. But David learned of Saul's plan and told Abiathar the priest to bring him the ephod to ask the Lord what he should do. Then David prayed, O Lord God of Israel, I have heard that Saul is planning to come and to destroy Keilah because I am here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? Will Saul actually come as I have heard? O Lord God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, He will come. And again David asked, Would the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, Yes, he will, they will betray you. So David and his men, about 600 of them now, left Keilah and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go to Keilah after all. David now stayed in strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God did not let Saul find him. Before we go any further, can we just uh, look to the Lord? Dear God, we thank you for this time that you've given us to open up your word and to learn some from your servant David. Lord, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would speak mightily in our hearts, that we would take those truths which speak of you, and that uh, you would work in each heart here, and that, that, that only those things which are true of you would, would stand fast, and that, that, that you would speak to our hearts that we might apply these things to our life, so that we might continue to be conformed to the image of your Son. Lord, and I would also pray that if anyone does not know you, 
here, that they do not have a relationship with you and that they have not met you, that they will truly see who you are and that they will have a relationship with you this very day. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so kind of putting into perspective David's circumstance a little bit. As you remember, I mean, I'm sure you've gone a little bit through, you know David, that David will eventually be king of, king of Judah, king of Israel. And as a young boy, David was anointed to be king. And David's life after this, uh, up to this point, I mean, he's, he's gone ahead, he's killed the giant. He's gone ahead and he's lived in the palace for a little while. Saul's now gotten jealous of him because he's, David's gone out to war, killed many Philistines. The people seem to just be loving David. And Saul is now jealous. So Saul has been trying to kill David. So now David is on the run. And so David has to leave his house, his family, his friends, and he's, he's basically a hunted man. Now, I'm going to pull four lessons out of this chapter for David. At this point in David's life, I believe David is really walking with the Lord and he's walking strong. And I don't know how he does this. I mean, think about if we were to put ourselves in the place of David or even in the place of, say, David, one of his 400 men at this time. To me, it's just like I cannot fathom what it would be like to be hunted for your life. To not be able to live and to live with your family and the friends, to not be able to live in a home, but he's dealing in wilderness, he's hiding in caves, he's hiding in the woods. I don't know what it would like be like to be hunted, if you will. And David, as we know, he goes through certain circumstances in his life where sometimes he does the right thing, sometimes he does the wrong thing. Now, for me to try to relate to someone like David, it's like I can read chapters in a book and say, well, I know what happens in the end. So it's kind of very easy for me to say, oh, well, yeah, I wouldn't have done that if I was him. But I don't know what it likes. I don't know what it feels like to be pushed out of my house, to be, to be hunted down by the very country that I love, to, to be by, by, by my very father-in-law, even though my father-in-law at times has wanted to kill me, but I don't think literally. <laughs> But I don't know what that's like to be on the run, to know, to know my family's in danger and I want to go ahead and protect them. I don't know if, if you've been reading along that David just had, he just met his family. His family all came together with him and he took his parents and he goes out of Judah into Moab. This is on the other side of the Dead Sea. If you picture, like if you can picture that window, that would be the Dead Sea. Judah is in the middle where we put the, uh, where we put the, the, the highlights here or the, um, the thing. Uh, the projection, and David goes down around the bottom of the Red Sea, and right where that plant is, is basically, that's this, uh, Moab. And so he drops his parents off at Moab and says, can, can my parents stay here while I'm running around, while, basically while my life is being hunted? And the king of Moab basically says yes. But then God goes and he tells David, David, I don't want you to stay in Moab. I want you to go back to Judea. I want you to go back to Judah. Go, go back in there. So then David and his men go back basically to the area that they're hunted. Why does God want him to go back to Judah where he's being hunted, where he can't live in peace, where he's not protected? Doesn't, doesn't God want his family to be safe? And as David gets back here to Judah, where we start this chapter is what he gets news of and says, guess what? Back in Keilah, 
The Philistines are attacking Keilah. And it says they're robbing the threshing floor. It's they're taking away their food. They're attacking their very livelihood. That whole city is going to go ahead and perish. Now, Keilah, if, you were to have, if we were to have a map, now, Keilah is, you've got the Dead Sea. If that window was the Dead Sea, Keilah is up, up top near where the J is in Jesus. That's where Keilah is. Now, Keilah is also right on the border of the Philistine country. So these men, these men are a little scared, and they're just, and they're just you read in verse 2, and they're just like, well, David, we don't want to fight the whole Philistine army. Keilah is right there on the border. David and his men, there's only 400 men. That's like if you want to take this chapel times four, that's how many people David had. And he's going to go against a whole country of Philistines. To me, this was, this was just amazing. The first lesson that we were able to pull out of David's life is to pray always. There's going to be four lessons. First thing is pray always. I want to look, look at verse 1. One and two here. It says, One day when the news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah stealing grain from the threshing floors, David asked the Lord, Should I go and attack them? Now, trying to set the stage of what's going on in David's life. Now, if, if we heard, say if we, we here in this assembly, and one of the, say, say David was here, and David were on the run, kind of deal, this, we're, we're part of David's, David's group. Now, we just get news from somebody that Keilah, across the country, right up against the border of the Philistines, is being attacked. We're going to go into a prayer meeting now. And I can picture myself praying next to David. And I'm thinking, well, what's going to be prayed? Well, it's probably going to be like, Lord, please help the people of Keilah. Please deliver them. Please uh, protect them. Send, send Saul and his army to go ahead and protect them. May the Israelites do well, you know, whatever. But instead, I hear David pray, Lord, do we go and attack them? I'd be like, what? <laughs> what did he just pray? Lord, do I go and attack them? There's only, David, you realize there's only 400 of us here. There's only a few of us, and we're going to go up against, right up against the Philistine border, and what, take them all on? David, what, have you lost your mind? I, I don't know how I would be in that prayer meeting. I would be right here in verse 2, or verse 3, but David's men said, we're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah and fight the whole Philistine army. Now remember, they were just in Moab. They dropped David's parents off in Moab, a safe place. But in, in the previous chapter, God tells David by a prophet Gad and says, David, you can't stay here. God wants you to go to Judah. He didn't tell him why. He just says, I want you to go to Judah. So David and his men, they go to Judah. And here, David's 400 men, they're just like, we're afraid being here. We, we were happy back there. But why do we ha- we're here in the middle of Judah, where we know we're being hunted, and now, what, what you want to throw up red flags and just what, walk to your death? Go to the Philistine army? So you can understand the graveness of what is going on here. But why is David praying this prayer? Lord, do you want me to go and attack them? Do you want me to go and attack and save Keilah? And then to get an immediate response from the Lord and says, yes, I want you to go. He goes and tells his men, all right, guys, we're getting up, we're going. No, 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 no Dave, are you, are you sure? Are you sure you heard the right thing here? David being, wants to be sure. He's got a lot of men, men's lives on the line. He goes back to God and says, God says, yes. 
And then the King James Version says, and I will deliver them, the Philistines, into your hand. David could have prayed so many other things. He could have prayed, God, why am, why am I not king yet? Don't you want me to be king? Didn't you anoint me as a boy? Why, why am I running around? Why can't I live with my family? Why am I running around? Why did you send me back here to Judah? Why am I in this circumstance? This is, this is a horrible circumstance. Why can't you send Saul and his Israelite army? That's their responsibility. It's the government's responsibility to protect the country. Why can't Saul do that? Instead, Saul's going around chasing me. But see, David knew the heart of God. David was in tune with God. And he knew the heart of God was for God's people, which was Keilah. And David had a heart for God's people. So he's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to go and fight? He was in tune with God's heart. See, sometimes when we pray and we have a prayer life, a lot of times, I find this in my own life, is that we have a wrong thinking of success. We think that success is having no problems, that all of our circumstances are at peace, and that we're fine. And, and that's what we work towards, don't we? Like, we want to make sure that we pay the bills so that we don't get the late fee. We, we want to go ahead and hurry up and get the kids to bed so that we can finally sit down and relax. We want to, we're always trying to work ourselves into a peaceful situation, thinking that that peace is going to last. And when that peace, when we find, if I finally can have this, I'll be okay. If I finally have this in my life, I'll be okay. If I can finally achieve this status, I'll be okay. That is not God's success. We have to stop thinking that way, that that is not God's success. See, God's success is it's been prayed several times today. It's conforming us to the image of his son. See, God is working on us. It's not having our circumstances at peace. It's having peace in spite of the circumstances. God, he says, God says in John, he tells it to his disciples before he goes, he's just like, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. Every one of us, no matter who you are, we have trouble in this world. And guess what? We are not going to have everlasting peace on this side of glory. It doesn't happen. God doesn't want that to happen. It's not expected to happen. A lot of us are called to suffering for his glory. We have to know and align ourselves with God's heart to know that God is using circumstances for his glory and he is working on us. And in this instance, he is working on David. He is working on the hearts of Judah. He is working on the hearts of men and he's playing out the scriptures so that he can work on our hearts as well. One of the reasons that God brought David back to Judah was so that he was available to go ahead and serve and to fight. And as we pray, you notice that David got answers right away. You know, if you uh, keep your finger there in, in Samuel 23, but if you turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we're going to look at some of the words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples. Now, you've read these before. 
13, it says, you can ask anything in my name. Jesus is talking. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Have you ever read those verses and not believe them? I know I have. I do all the time. I'm thinking to myself, but these are the words of Jesus. If we're asking in his will, he's going to answer us. But we have to be praying in his will. And David was praying in God's will at this time. He knew the heart of God. If you look over at, at chapter 15, in verse 7, But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. You now the King James says, the words abide. Make your dwelling place. If his words make his dwelling place in you. If you're abiding in him and he's abiding in you, you can ask anything and it will be done unto you. This is a promise that God made. But the, the prerequisite is that we need to be abiding in him. His words need to be abiding in us. When we know what God's will is in our life, because we have a relationship with him, because we have that strong fellowship with him, we will see our prayers get answered. Psalm 37, verse 4, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's abiding in him, when you're delighting in him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You know why he gives you the desires of your heart? It's a promise. It's because your desires have changed to fall in line with God's desires. And that's what was happening here with David. See, God's desire was that Kilo was to be saved. And David had a heart for God's people. This is where you see a man after God's own heart. David could have asked for anything. I mean, David, think about David too. Why isn't Saul doing this? Why isn't Saul rescuing? I mean, for crying out loud, I know Saul got the message because Saul lives in the palace. He lives in his home where somebody found David in the wilderness to give him the news. So why isn't Saul getting his army together where finally when Kela is David's at Kela, guess what Saul does? We read it. Is then Saul gets his entire army to besiege Kela because David's there. Not because the Philistines are there, but because David's there. That's when he mobilizes his army. And David, even though he's not king, and even though he could be asking questions, Lord, I thought you promised that I was going to be king way back when I was young. Why did you anoint me then? What's going on? Why is there all this time? And here I am now running for my life. I'm not even comfortable. And yet, he had a heart of a king. He had a heart after God. And he went ahead and did that. See, David knew who he was. David knew at this point, because of his fellowship with God, because of that constant talking with God, he knew exactly what God wanted him to do. There's a phrase in a song that it says, it says, I know who I am because of who I know. See, each one of us in this room, we all if you, we all are known by God. And if you have Jesus Christ in your heart, if you've asked him to forgive you for your sins, you have a purpose in the body of Christ. That it may be up here teaching, it may be playing music, it may be behind the scenes getting books ready, it might be 
giving needed water to the speaker. It might, it might, it could be anything. It could just be cards of encouragement and behind the scenes. You have a part in the body of Christ. And God has placed that mission on your heart. And see, David knew what his mission was because of his communication with God. And he didn't desire anybody else's position. At this point, he knew who he was. When we constantly have communication with God, we're going to know what God wants from us, and we're going to go ahead and fulfill that. Second Peter 1.3. You can just, uh, just listen. This is from the NIV. But this is one of my, like my life's verse. I love this verse. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by himself to his glory and goodness. Everything that we need for godly living is given through the knowledge of him. The more we get to know God, that's everything that we need. Not, not partial, not a little bit, but everything that we need. First lesson we can take from David's life, and it is to pray often. Rarely anybody in scripture that prays before they make a move and they wait for God's answer that they mess up. David, as you're going to read through later chapters, David does make some moves, and he does mess up. But you'll notice he doesn't pray ahead of time and wait for God's answer when he makes those moves. It's when he prays first and he waits for an answer, that's when he does the right thing. I say rarely because sometimes there are times in Scripture where people pray, they get an answer, and they don't obey that answer, and that's when they mess up. But rarely, if you're seeking the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know the verses, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You'll see that David, four times here, just when it happens to deal with Keilah, he prays to God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? That's the first lesson we can take from David, a man after God's own heart. Pray often. Next thing I want to point out is in verse 3. So back in Samuel, 1 Samuel 23. So David brings it to the men. We've got to go to Keilah to fight. Verse 3. Now don't worry. I know I only have 25 minutes and I'm in verse 3. I'm going to finish on time. My brother told me if I don't end at 12.15, people are just going to start walking out anyway. So, all right? You have that permission. You can just start walking out. We're all good. But David's men said, we're afraid even of here, of here in Judah. We're afraid. Afraid. Do you know what fearful is? you know what fear is? Fear is when you have faith in the enemy. Fear is when you... Remember, faith is believing what you can't see. Now, these men had faith in the enemy. They believed that the enemy, even though they couldn't see them, and they didn't know the future, that the enemy would annihilate them. That they could do horrible things to them. They believed that. They had faith. And so what did they do? Then they started worrying. When you have fear, when you believe something, you start worrying. And see, whatever you believe, this, goes, this, is, this is like a universal truth, whatever you believe, if you believe something to be true, that's how you will feel and that's how you will act. You will feel and act according to how you believe. Sometimes we don't believe something to be true, but still, if we, it, it might be a, a false, it might be a lie, but if we believe that lie, that is how we will feel and that's how we will act. Take, for instance, an ant. Now, you guys know what ants are, right? I'm not t- <laughs> you have an ant that comes in your kitchen. 
What do you do? Oh, there's an ant in my kitchen. You go and step on it. And, okay, you get you get rid of it. You're killing God's creatures. I know, I know. So, so animal lovers, insect lovers, I'm sorry. But that's what I do. Ants come in my kitchen. We get rid of them. Okay, we, we annihilate them. We, we kill them. Okay? I don't try to save them in a little napkin. And say, but you get a spider that is the same size or smaller. And it's a spider. What happens to most people? Ah! What, what, what? It's a spider. Okay? It's like the same thing as an ant. Okay? It's got two more legs. What are they going to do with the two more legs? But it, there's, there's a different response. Why? I don't know. I saw a commercial a long time ago. There's this little spider. And the, 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 girl, the girl's like, ah! And the guy's like, I'll take care of it. He goes to step on it. And the spider takes, this little spider takes this man and throws him all around. Like, do we really think that's going to happen? But for whatever reason, what we believe, we believe spiders bad. Ants, they're okay. I can handle them. I'm bigger than they are. But what you believe is how you will feel and how you will act. Here, David's men, they believed that the Philistines were a more formidable, a formidable army, that they were a more powerful army than there. And they were. But see, David had a different kind of faith. He didn't have faith in the army of the Philistines. He had faith in his God. And so when he got that information, he took that information and he says, you know what, this is not, this is not, well, I don't file this in my fear cabinet, if you will. I don't file this and say, we're going to be beaten. I'm going to file this and say, we're going to see what God's going to do. And when we get news and circumstances in our life, We cannot have fear in the circumstance. We cannot have faith in that circumstance. We need to have faith in our God. And what God does all the time, he does it all throughout Scripture. He does it in our lives. I know you you know it. Doesn't it seem that when, when we have a situation that God just seems to go ahead and he always answers our prayer, like just in the nick of time, just about when things were going to just like go all over and it was just going to get really bad, he just seems to answer that prayer just in the nick of time. Why does he do that? Why does God use time? Why did David get anointed king way back when he was a young boy? And now he's, he's I don't know how old, but he's running around. He's old enough to be married and all this other stuff. And why is he still not king? Why, did, why does he anoint him king just before he's going to be king? Why does he have to have that promise way back when? Why is there this big time span? Why does God use time like that? See, God wants us to have faith. Not in the solution to the problem. He wants us to have faith in him as a person, in the relationship. See, our life is about a relationship with him and with others. One of the reasons we're still here on earth is to learn how to love one another, to learn about his love, to learn to get to know him more. That is what we've all been created for. We have been created to give, have a relationship with our God. So when the circumstances hit, when the circumstances, we need to have faith in God, in that person, and not in, okay, God, if you just tell me what's going to happen, or if you just lay this out for me and the solution, then I know, I know we're going to be fine. Just lay it out for me. I, I, I need to see it. I need to see it in black and white. God doesn't want us to have faith in that solution. He doesn't want us to, to hold on to that, and that's our security. He wants him to be our security blanket, the person of him and who he is. And I'll tell you this, the men of David, even though they were fearful, they showed courage, didn't they? You know what courage is? 
Courage is acting out even in spite of fear. See, if you don't have fear, you can't have courage. Because you know you're safe and you just go, it's just an action then. But if you have fear, there's something to be fearful about, and you go ahead and act and you work through your fear, that's courage. And here David's been courageous. And I can tell you this, that after this fight, after this battle, we know that David's men, their faith, it grew. Their faith in God, it grew. Their They knew that David knew what he was talking about. David has faith in his God. And David's men grew faith in in God. And you'll see it later on in the chapter that David's men went from 400 men to about 600 men by the end of this chapter. Because what happened was, there was, it says in verse 5, So David and his men went to Keilah, and they slaughtered the Philistines and took their livestock and rescued the people of Keilah. They slaughtered them. It wasn't like it was a close battle. Okay, it was like the Yukon women against like an elementary school team. Okay, it was like there was no contest. It was it was there was nothing. It was a great slaughter. There was no it it was didn't come to overtime, anything like that. It was just David's 400 men. They took the Philistine Israel army out and they knew that was God. They knew that was God and it grew their faith. So first lesson, pray always. Second lesson. Have faith in God, not the enemy. Third, looking at verse, looking at, uh, verse uh, 7. Soon Saul learned that David was at Keilah. Good, he exclaimed. We got him now. David has handed him over to me and he has trapped himself in a walled town. So Saul mobilized his entire army to march to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And David learned Saul's plan and told Abiathar the priest to bring him the ephod and to ask the Lord what he should do. Then David prayed, O O Lord, God of Israel, I have heard that Saul is planning to come and to destroy Keilah because I am here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I have heard? And O O Lord, God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, He will come. And David asked, Will the leaders of Keilah betray me and the men of Saul to to the men of Saul? And the Lord replied, Yes, they will betray you. I think it's a little sad that David even has to pray this. I mean, he's just had a great slaughter, a great victory, and he's basically saved these people's lives, saved their homes. And now here comes Saul with his measly army, who can't get rid of the Philistines, by the way. And Saul's going to go ahead and besiege the town. And so David's like, "Got it? Are they going to? Is Saul actually going to destroy one of his own cities?" Because of me? Yes, he is. Well, the people that we just saved, the ones that we just went ahead and, and we broke our backs to, to basically go cross-country, to go ahead and save, uh, are they going to basically be unthankful and the leaders are going to give us over to Saul? Yeah, they will. You know, have you ever seen that commercial, um, the Southwest Airlines Fenwick, with Fenwick? you got this... Big, massive army, and it looks like they just—they—they just—they're at a standstill now because they have this little, little army, uh, little army that everybody's dropping their swords and dropping their shields, and you have this huge, vast army. And the, the guy from the vast army says, "Okay, the king is a merciful man. If you just hand over the one that is named Fenwick, we'll spare the rest of you. We'll show mercy." And so Fenwick, you see Fenwick standing there, and he's. 
he's nervous and he's just about to say, you know, uh, all right, I, I'm Fenwick. And just as about as he was about to say it, somebody behind him, I am Fenwick. And then you hear, I am Fenwick, I am Fenwick, I am Fenwick. And everybody shouts that they are Fenwick. And of course, you got the guy with the, the shield. Hey, Fenwick. <laughs> My shield, I can't find my shield. It's got horizontal stripes. This one has vertical or something like that. But the whole army says, I'm Fenwick, that they're standing by their leader. Now, that's the way it should have happened in Keilah. Not the man with the shield. But that's the way it should have happened with Keilah, where they were just like, no, we're not giving David over to you. David just saved us. Okay? We're not, we're not doing it. We're going to stand by him. We saw that God was with him. We're going to stand by him. But instead, they were unthankful. You ever have to love someone or do something for someone that's unthankful? Now, I know, I know, I, I know but I, I see it, but I don't experience it. But I know, like moms, I know moms, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you see it all the time, every day, day and night. You have, you have kids that you're doing everything for. You're giving your, of, of yourself. And a lot of times the kids aren't necessarily thankful. Or those of you that might have to carry for, care for loved ones that have grown old. And they might be sick. And you have to care for them. You don't know if that person's thankful or not. I know that causes a lot of, a lot of pain. Paint them painted. I don't, I don't understand. And I don't, I don't think that I would ever understand. But sometimes God calls us to do hard tasks. And he's left us here on earth to learn how to love. And sometimes that love is difficult. It's hard to love someone that, that basically doesn't deserve your love. But I will tell you this. This is exactly what David did. But if David didn't go and do what he did, like he had an inkling that, that, that Keilah, he knew about those people. Or why would he even have to ask? David had an inkling of what kind of people he was going to save, but yet he still did it. He still showed God's heart, and he still saved them. We just read this morning in Romans chapter 5, where it talks about where even scarcely, maybe a man would, man would die for a good man, or even a righteous man. But God showed his love towards us when why we were yet sinners that he died for us. He died for the sins of the world when we were unthankful. And sometimes I'm still unthankful because I still sin. That is the heart of God. And those of you that are loving people that are unthankful, those of you that God has called to love and it's difficult because you're doing it day in and day out, you're learning God's love for you. God is shaping you and conforming you to the image of, your son, of His Son. Don't lose heart because that's exactly where God wants you to be. It's exactly what God wants you to do. It is a tough thing, a tough thing that I can't even imagine. And it takes a lot out of you. It it is a, a, a big sacrifice. But he is showing you how much he loves you by you going ahead and loving that other individual or those individuals, by giving of yourself Realize that that is exactly what God has done for us. You know, it's one thing if David says, I love, I, I love the people, you know, I, I'm, I'm king, I'm going to be a good king, and I love God's people. This is one of the reasons that God wanted David out of Moab and back in Judah. 
so that he would be available to serve God's people and show them that he loves them. Think about it. The people of Judah are, you know, I just heard that David went and saved Keilah. He only had 400 men. Why would he do that? He came back to Judah. Why would he do that? He must love the people of Israel. He must love God's people. See, God brought him back so that the people would learn that David had a man, David was a man after God's own heart and he loved them. But he was also working with David so that David would learn how to love and even love in this way. Be one thing that if God, when I got, you know, we read in First John that God is love. Now, if we just read that, would we really believe it? But God showed his love for us where he came and did something. He acted. And now we know that we worship a king who truly loves us. Pray always. Have faith in God, not the enemy. And love even the unlovable. And the last one is this. If you would look in 1 Samuel 23. Verse 13, it says, So David and his men were about 600 of them now, and they left Keilah and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped. So he didn't go to Keilah after all. Now David stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. David hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. One day near Horish, David received news that Saul was on his way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in the faith, in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their their solemn pact before the Lord, and Jonathan returned home, and David stayed at Horesh. Jonathan encouraged David. Now, I know we're not going to talk a little bit about David at this point, but I want to take something from Jonathan. First of all, David needed encouragement. It doesn't say right here that David was discouraged by any stretch. But notice that Jonathan went out, found out where David was, left his home, searched him out, and then encouraged him. See, even men and women that are doing God's work, even though they might not be down in the depths, they need encouragement. David needed encouragement. It didn't say that David was sitting beside himself and he was down in the dumps. It just basically He just came off a great battle and now he's on his way again. He hasn't been captured by Saul, but Jonathan, through the Lord, he went in and encouraged him in God. And do you see how he encouraged him? Do you see what he said? He said, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Don't have faith in the enemy. Have faith in your God. Even though this, don't look at the circumstance. Don't let your imagination wander in the wrong way. Don't start thinking of what the enemy will do to you and what will happen. That's worry. That's being anxious. That's fear. Don't do that. Have faith in God. Start using your imagination the right way. Think of the things, how big your God is, how your God is working in this situation. Have faith in God. And then 
Jonathan goes ahead and he says one of one of his promises and says, God has promised that you will be king. Well, guess what? You will be king. He goes ahead and he echoes God's promises, says you will be king. When we encourage one another, we need to echo God's promises to them and get their get help, get their focus back on God so that they can see. Don't wait for them to be down in the dumps for you to go ahead and encourage someone. If God tells you to encourage someone, do it and do it right away. It's, it's like, like any athlete. When an athlete is playing, playing a sport, it's not inside the game. We don't want to make sure that they're, they're healthy and that they're, they're fine. We, we want to make sure they're healthy and everything inside the game at the time of the game. But what do they do? What do athletes do? That they train and they prepare and they make sure their body's healthy, and they, they hydrate, and they eat the right foods, and they do everything before the game. And this is what we need to do with encouragement, is that we need to make sure that we're doing it on a constant basis to prepare for those trials, to prepare our fellow soldiers for those instances and those circumstances where they might fall down. The word encourage, it's actually like to encourage, to put courage in someone. You're, that's exactly what you're doing. Thinking of what courage is, it's, it's being able to act in spite, of, in spite of fear. It's when you encourage someone, you are actually speaking strength into them so that they can go ahead and have the strength to go ahead and act in obedience to God in spite of their circumstances, in spite of them being afraid of what could happen. That's what encouragement is. First Thessalonians 5, verse 12. You don't need to turn there. But this is where Paul, he urges the Thessalonians. He says, know those who labor among you. He's talking about encouraging them. Know those who labor among you. Know who, who works among you in your group here in this assembly. If you know somebody is doing God's work, then encourage them in that. Don't let, them, don't let that thought go where it, it's just, okay, well, they're a godly man. They're a godly woman. They know what they're doing. They're not going through a tough time right now, so they're okay. You've got you to gotta definitely encourage those that are going through the tough time, absolutely, but also encourage those that aren't going through a tough time. Help them prepare for when the tough time comes because the tough times are going to come. Those are the four lessons. Pray always. Have faith in God, not the enemy. Love even the unlovable and encourage often. May God challenge our hearts that we would do the same as David. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for this chapter in David's life and we thank you for the lessons that we could learn from it. Lord, I pray that you would help, that you would build our relationship, our fellowship with you. May you help us to do these very things, to help us to love like you love, to have faith in you and not in a solution, to to communicate with you often by lifting up every situation in prayer. And Lord, help us to be a strength to one another. Help us to encourage as we, in, uh, as we speak to one another in love. Lord, we thank you for this time. We say this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.